You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by ThriftBooks. ThriftBooks.com is the largest online seller of used books in the United States. They pride themselves on offering the lowest everyday price on used books on the web, with over 13 million books in stock. Everything from classic children's books like The Little Engine That Could to the latest thriller by John Grisham. I've used ThriftBooks for over two years now, and I can't recommend them enough. To save 15% off on your first order, plus free shipping on orders of $10 or more, go to thatmusicteacher.com slash thriftbooks. Again, head over to thatmusicteacher.com slash thriftbooks to save 50% off on your first order, plus free shipping on orders of $10 or more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Bryson Tarbett, and I'm the music educator and podcaster behind That Music Teacher and thatmusicteacher.com. I'm so excited that you decided to join me today as I talk to one of my very good friends, Abby Helbling, all about starting a program from scratch. Say hello, Abby. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So I'm so excited to have Abby here. Um, But before we get started, Abby, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? So where did you go to college and where and what do you teach? Sure. Uh, So again, my name is Abby Hubling. I am a second year teacher and I teach grades 5 through 12 in choir, general music, and guitar. And I have one outside of school ensemble, kind of a chamber style, and I help with the musical. And I also have a fifth and sixth grade choir as well in the midst of all of the craziness there. You sure are busy. (laughs) Oh, oh yes. Many hats. Um, And I went to undergrad at Ohio Wesleyan University and got my my bachelor's of music education there. And then I went on after that to the University of Notre Dame to get my master's in choral conducting in sacred music. Then I found my first job. So again, in year two. That's awesome. So um, me and Abby actually met during undergrad. We both went to Ohio Western University, um, and we've been kind of following each other and hanging out whenever we can as the years have yes. has passed since graduation. But I'm so excited that she's on here to share her story with you a little bit. Well, thank you. Uh, before we dive into the real nitty gritty of the interview, what is something other than teaching that you're really passionate about and that brings you joy? So I... When I first got started into music was actually playing my guitar. Um, If you remember like Radio Disney way back in the day. (laughs) Oh, of course. Radio Disney and like the music videos that you put online. I was obsessed with Allie and AJ and I was like in love with that. They played guitar and I thought they were so cool. I still think they're so cool. Um, And so that's how I started playing guitar and that's kind of been my outlet for everything. So that brings me a lot of joy. Um, I love being in musicals as well. I was just in one last summer and um, very much into health and fitness and focusing on that side of things and taking care of myself there. That's awesome. You have, you definitely wear a lot of hats in and out out of the classroom. (laughs) Yes. All right. So I'm so excited to talk to you about today about building a program from scratch, because I feel like that's really something that a lot of us have to do and not many of us get any or any great experience or even any experience in undergrad, because we tend to work with those more established programs. Exactly. 
before we get to that, what was something that led you or like what led you to pursuing degrees in music and, and in music education in general? And then how did you end up in your current position? Sure. Uh, so I actually hated music when I was younger, like our music class in elementary school. Oh, really? Uh, I think it was the music teacher I just wasn't too fond of. Um, and we all kind of dreaded it as well. So I'm kind of surprised that I'm a music teacher today because of that initial experience. But uh, once I started getting into middle school, I joined choir and that kind of changed my mind about things. Then I started to get into theater as well. And when I was in high school, there was like little seeds planted of the idea of becoming a music teacher. I always denied it because I thought I couldn't get a job from that. It's music. Like you can't get jobs with music, um, that sort of thing. But I continually got these little seeds from honors choir. I was in the Ohio State Fair Youth Choir as well. And just watching those conductors and who I worked with really brought the idea more forefront in my mind of becoming a music teacher. Then it wasn't until my high school choir director, she came in my junior year, that really changed my mind about things. And I would watch her and I'd be like, I I could do that. Like that's something I could definitely do. And I loved her style and I loved the way she approached things. And so after that, the end of my junior year, then that's when I decided I really wanted to pursue this. And my parents were full support of that, which is I was super afraid of telling them that that's what I wanted to do. Because at first I wanted to be a psychologist. And I'm like, nope, I would like to be a music teacher instead. <laughs> and so they were all for it in that. And so that's how I really got into there with that. And um, and so I really have to thank my high school choir teacher for that. Yeah, I'm so excited that you were able to have the that teacher towards the end of your high school career to kind of really inspire you to keep going with it. Yeah. If she didn't come, I don't think I'd be here in this position today. So it was much, much grateful there. And then I got into my current position uh, just with the grind of the interview process when you graduate um, and getting through all of that. And it's funny, the position I'm at now, I almost canceled that interview. Oh, wow. Because I, have, I, was, <laughs> I was actually researching them and I had, it came up, you could like look up old contracts and that stuff. Uh, with having a master's degree as a first year teacher, I wanted to make sure that I was getting paid yeah. as I should not to be like be hoity-toity or whatever, but I just want to make yeah, sure that. Yeah, you put in the like, work you know, for it. <laughs> right. Um, and so it came up that like it was a lower amount than my range should have been. And so I'm just like, well, they can't pay me. So why would I even like go to this interview? So I was almost canceled it. And then one of my good friends from college, she's like, no, just do the interview and just see what happens. You never know. And I was like, all right, fine. And so I was the most relaxed in that interview. And because I was like, it's not going to happen. It's fine. Like I'll just move on or whatever. And it ended up, they called me about two or three hours later, offer me the job. Oh, wow. They were on um, a mission. So they, they really were. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. And I waited a couple of days to decide cause I was waiting on another school and a whole bunch of things came up with, um, another school I was interested in, in North Carolina. Um, they had called me or emailed me like an hour before I had to let my current position know, um, my decision. And it was just like this stressful hour of deciding of where to go and where not. And then North Carolina doesn't pay for a master's degree. So I was like, well, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's um, quite the story to get where you are now. 
Right. And so, and I'm very grateful for where I'm ending up now. It's definitely where I need to be at the moment. So it's been a good learning experience. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how sometimes the, the strangest things end up pushing you right to where you need to be? I feel the same way with my current position. And exactly, it's, it's crazy how that works. Um, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about building a music program from scratch. So what is your experience building a program from the bottom up? So in my current position, the person before me kind of, I hate to say neglected the program, but just didn't do anything with it. Um, she was following up, uh, another teacher who had built something and then she just didn't really run with that. And, uh, so when I came in the students for choirs, at least at the high school, there was no vocal technique there, not a lot of music theory background, unless they were from band or were in band. There was no sight reading skills. Um, our, our elementary music teacher is taught by, um, a general reading teacher, so she's teaching music part-time at the elementary. So there's really not a lot of solid foundation there. And I put no, absolutely no blame on either one of these people for me. Um, I think they were just doing the best that they could do. And what, you know, what our current elementary music teacher is doing at the time, she's definitely making the kids love music. And that's all that really matters at the end of the day. But yeah, definitely making the best of a, of a not so great situation. Right, right. And so they're coming to me, at least from the elementary school, not hating it, at least. But there's not at, at fifth grade when they come to me, they're not they're not at the level that they should be at according to like our Ohio standards and everything. Um so so that was a little frustrating at times. Um and the students didn't really like the previous teacher that was before me, so they all hated music. Uh, to a, to a point, um, and my seventh and eighth grade choir is in the gym, and it still is to this day. Uh, they last year, my first year in seventh and eighth grade, if you were in band, you had to be in choir. So a lot of kids oh, were wow. forced to be in there, um, and so that didn't help things. That didn't help things. One, it's in a gym. That didn't really help things. And three, they didn't like music or they didn't want to sing. So it was just. I couldn't really win last yeah. year with that. And, um, and I also teach in a modular at the high or at the middle school. So I have a tiny room, not a lot of resources there. And, um, so literally from grades five through 12, um, is I was starting from the ground up, like almost every class was starting out like ta, ta, titi, you know, different things, like very, it's very, you know, elementary at the time. And especially with my high schoolers didn't have a lot of technique. And so they thought I was crazy with the things I was making them do with all of that. So they've, I've gained their trust now. They know that I'm still crazy, but you know, what I do works. Um, so, uh, but this year now I have the something I could cry change to, it's a full elective. So students are choosing to be in there and I have about 30 kids, 25 to 30 kids, which is a good number for our size of the school. And then I also started the fifth and sixth grade choir as another feeder into the middle school choir. Um, and they're all super excited to be there. So it's it's slowly rolling into the right direction with that and building. Yeah, I bet that having that be a full elective and not having students kind of forced in there is that alone probably makes a huge difference in classroom management it's a and huge getting them to buy difference. into things. Oh yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's I people ask me how how things are going and everything. And 
they knew about the situation with the seventh and eighth grade choir because just behaviorally it was so awful. Um, and I can't blame the kids. They're forced there. And I told them that I was like, I hate that you're forced to be here. And I know that works in some districts, but ours just, it does not work here. There's not the, that solid love of music and foundational things yet that we can't do that yet. Maybe later down the road that that'll be able to happen. But, um, yeah, it's so much better. And I tell people all the time, like, I'm so much nicer. I feel so much better about things. <laughs> like, I am less stressed and I have fun. Like, they're my last class of the day. So I'm not going home, like, crying in the corner because I'm so frustrated and, you know, and angry as on top of everything else as a first year teacher. So it's this year has definitely been 10 times better behavior wise with everything. I can only imagine how much that changes your teacher life and just the, yeah. the ability to get out of bed and realizing that you're, you're going to enjoy it a little bit more. I can only imagine that's super helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I, we all make mistakes and I definitely didn't build the relationship that well with the choir last year. Um, when they were forced and they didn't want to be there and I kind of pushed them into doing music that they didn't really want to do, but my ego got in the way. Cause I'm like, we have to be doing this. Like we have to be learning all the foundational things. Like we have to, you know, just coming from Notre Dame and working with the children's choir and um, doing like really high rep, over there and then to come into this situation, like we have to do this, but they couldn't do it. And now I've definitely changed my tune of like, sure, let's sing a pop song for the Christmas concert. That's what you really want to do. As long as you're singing and having fun at this point. Great. Like I know that goes against a lot of other people, but with my situation, I'm not, I'm still building. And so for that, I have to let them enjoy themselves, even if it's music I don't particularly want to do, but so we're getting there. And I think, yeah, and I think that's a really good way to picture, the, you know, turning a ship by degrees and you have to make small incremental changes. You're not just able right. to change things overnight. And so I, th- I think that it's okay to to do something different if it makes the students enjoy it, as long as you're still making sure that they have that, that foundation that they're gaining through that situation, which mm-hmm. I think is awesome yeah, and, when you're doing that. And right now in seventh and eighth grade, we're only singing in unison because that's all we can do. We're, we're getting into rounds. They can do that. We do have one song on the concert. That's my choice. They kind of like the teacher, you know, choice. Um, and they're getting a little bit more into two part. And as long as they sound good at the end of the day, I think that's okay. Specifically where I'm at in this position and in, in the rebuilding phase, like it's hard as, you know, as a musician to do that, to step way, way, way back. But I think it's necessary at this time for all of that. For sure. And I think that's definitely kind of a flaw of the music educational system, like of higher ed, because we do so much work with working with collegiate people and working at right. the, the high musicality level of at, at a collegiate level that sometimes we forget that the reality of what our degree is in music education is kind of different from that. We're not going to be working with that polished group, high, high caliber group all the time. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that was a big eye opener for me to take that many steps back from where I was and to know that that like, that's okay. And that's where you're supposed to be at, at this point. So that was, it took me a while to, to be okay with that and to realize that. Yeah. So I think that really kind of brings me really nicely into my next question, which is yeah. why do you think that building a program is something that's so often o- overlooked in the undergrad process? Well, from what you said, and I agree with that, at least for us at OU, that we were very fortunate to have a lot of really well-established 
music programs around us, whether that's high school, middle school, or even elementary school. And, and so we were thrown into those situations of it's already established. And so we're just kind of riding the wave of our cooperating teachers where we don't really have to think about when we first start something because we're jumping into the middle of something already that's, you know, already in, in gear and already turning and already working. And so that's just what we expect when we go into a job because that's just what we did in student teaching. So we expect to go into a new job that we're like, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, ride the wave of the person that was before me. But then we realize that that's not the case. And that regardless if you're rebuilding a program from scratch or, you know, taking over as an established one, that you still have to build something. <clears throat> that's still the requirement of you. You still have to build this program. Like that person before you may have done it, but you still have to continue that, that momentum that that person came in. So I think I th- as undergrad um, we do so much anyway. So I was thinking about that and, in all reality, I'm like, where, when would we have time to learn that? Exactly. <laughs> like, that I, like, I really thought about it. I was like, I mean, we could have done it in student teaching, but then again, we're just trying to survive then too. And our cooperating teachers are trying to survive with us. And, you know, I didn't, I don't know when we couldn't have done that, but, and I think our professors assumed that we'd be learning the, a lot of real life, real world situations in the classroom. But that just didn't happen. And I talked to a lot of teachers that, you know, that didn't happen either. And so I think that's just where the flaw is. Does that, I think some people assume that we're learning that. And then others is we just get too busy and we don't learn that sort of thing. And because there's just so much other things we have to be learning. Definitely. And it's definitely a, a, a double-edged sword because you would hate to get put into a student teaching placement at a program that isn't very well set up and that isn't, you know, isn't the high quality because it's nice to experience that and learn from that. But at the same time, it's very easy to make us see everything through that lens. And then when we start looking for jobs and looking, you know, what, what the reality is in the classrooms, Mm -hmm. it can really kind of get the best of us. And we think that something's wrong with what we're doing simply because we don't have that polished product yet. When realistically there, the teacher that we were watching has been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. And they've, they've had that time to kind of polish it out. And actually my, my first placement in student teaching was at an elementary school that I think the kids liked music. The students liked it, but it wasn't a very high education source. Um, she yeah. was the teacher that pressed play on a CD and the kids just, you know, belted their lungs out. Like not that you have to have technique or a lot of technique at elementary school. Like I'm not expecting them to sing like SATB in elementary school, but, um, but just not a lot of higher education there. And they didn't know rhythms. They didn't know the solfege and that stuff. So that was a, another learning experience for me of, getting them to bite onto that. And that was a little bit difficult too, because they're already coming in where you play in music class, which is true, but they just, they didn't understand what I was trying to do. Cause I was trying to go like the Kodai route with that as well. And my teacher didn't know how to do any of that stuff. So that was a little bit frustrating as well um, to try to learn a, a method when your cooperating teacher didn't know how to do that method. So I was kind of like on my own a lot for that as well. So, I mean, I guess that was preparing me for this current job. And now that I look back at that, but you know, but there's that too, but yeah. Yeah. There's definitely just so many things that go into 
learning how to be a teacher. And unfortunately, there's just no way that it's ever going to all fit into a four-year degree. Um, and it, it's just part of the problem, I guess, part of part of the, the gig. Um, and that's why I think that that first year of teaching is is such an such a formative experience, you know, trial by fire mm-hmm. is, is, is something that comes to mind because you really do learn a lot about yourself and about what role music plays within your own school just within that first year. Oh yeah, for sure. That first year I think is vital. And I think it's a year that you just need to survive and you just need to assess everything. You can't really change too much in that first year because you don't really know what you're doing or what's coming up or how you're going to handle those things. And so that first year is just, I think it's just a, you just need to go with the flow and, and then change it for next year for sure. Oh, definitely. I've had some, some first year teachers that message me on Instagram or on Facebook and they're like, you know, I I did this and this happened and you know, I feel like I'm, it didn't work. And I'm like, okay, did anyone die? Mm -hmm. Do you like, is, did they make it through the end? then you're fine. The first, because let's be honest, that first year of teaching really is survival. Um, for one, for one way or another, you're just trying to make it through. Um, and then you just take smaller steps, you know, turning that ship again, turn the ship by degrees, making steps to make it a little bit better in the future. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So what is one thing that you wish that you had known before you, before you started teaching in your current position? I, I wish when I was interviewing, I would have asked more questions about the program specifically, because I didn't really find out the the status of the program until after I was hired. Um, and I also wish that they would have been more upfront of the program as well. They had told me that the choir had 30 kids. And, I'll say, I, and I thought that was a great number for the size of school that we have. We only graduate like 70 kids per class. So 30 oh, wow. in choir is pretty good. Um, and so I was like, all right, great. And, and I'm thinking, and I asked, do they know Solfege? And the band director's like, yeah, I think they know Solfege. You'll be fine. I'm like, all right, cool. Because in my brain, I'm not a great pianist. I can plunk out notes, but coming to four-part playing is not my strong suit. <laughs> you so, and me both. <laughs> um, and so I, in my brain, I'm like, all right, fine. They can sing on Solfege. Like, we'll work it out. It'll be fine. And then come, you know, that first week, they don't know Solfege. They can't sight read. Um, the, I only had 15 kids in choir. Um, it was a very small number. And, and before I even got there, I, I was still living in Indiana when I got the job. And so I didn't move back to Ohio until about three weeks before school started. So I really wasn't here around the area to ask questions, to be around the students, to figure out what's happening. So a lot of it was one culture shock to, the overwhelm of realizing you have to rebuild something or like realizing where you're at or where this program is. Um, and so I just wish I would have asked more questions up front of what, what is to be expected or what am I walking into? And I think just generally knowing how to approach something like this, again, we didn't really were taught that in undergrad, but I wish there at least would have been a seminar or a workshop of just of that topic to at least we know have somewhat background information of how to rebuild something. It doesn't have to be a whole class, but I think just a talk would have been nice to realize that, yes, there are schools like this that you may be walking into. It's not going to be the well-established program that we had in student teaching. Like there are different 
schools that aren't like that. And I think we just didn't realize that at the time. And so if we just would have had that knowledge beforehand, I think I would have been at least more mentally prepared for what I was walking into. I totally understand that. And that's how I, why I wish that student teaching seminar we took while we were student teaching could have been a little bit more specialized to us music ed folks. And I understand, right. I understand that there's very few of us, but yeah. like that would be a perfect topic for like a, a special topics for like a seminar or something to come be like, Hey, just so you know, it might be a little different when you get out mm-hmm. of the real world. And like, it's right. fine. These are some steps that you can use. Um, Cause I think that would really help with their retention too, of just making it through that first few years. Yeah. And I, and I knew going into my first year of teaching or teaching in general, it's going to be difficult. Like I knew that walking in, I'm like, I know this first year is going to be hard. Like I was mentally prepared for knowing it was going to be that hard. But then you, you walk in and you didn't realize it was going to be that hard. And on top of that, you're rebuilding a program where students don't know anything. And so that just kind of added an extra layer to that first year teacher struggle. <laughs> that is... A great way to put that <laughs> because <laughs> there's nothing you can do. You can prepare yourself as many as, as much as you can, but you're, you're never going to prepare yourself oh, for gosh, what's no. actually about to happen. No, you can't, but that's just so, what you have to do. Exactly. So what would you say to someone who's currently overwhelmed and discouraged and they're trying to build a program from scratch and they don't know what to do next and they're just lost? I would first say you need to breathe, <laughs> um, breathe and know that, it's going to work out. And the next thing is to reach out to other teachers to confide in. They know exactly what you're going through, regardless of the content area. They've all at least been in your position in some manner of being somewhere new. Maybe you're not a first year teacher, but you're new to the district. They at least know how that feels. So to go to them and they can just listen to you and they can get give you ideas and you just go to as many teachers as you can. That's what I've been doing, honestly. And even if it's just general education teachers, I go and talk to them, my mentor, and I confide in my music teachers that I had when I was in school and I talk to them and I, you know, I go onto the Facebook groups and, you know, post a question on there. There's so much support around you that even if it gets to be overwhelming, there's at least someone there to listen and give you something with that. And honestly, even go see a therapist if it gets too overwhelming, because that's what I had to do where it just got to be too much. And I think that's totally okay as a first year teacher or a first oh, year teacher anywhere, regardless, or anytime you're teaching, having a therapist, I think is a great tool to have someone on the outside looking in, not in the education bubble as well. Um, another thing is to remind yourself that this is only temporary, that it will get better by the day. You can't make students dumber. So at least you are doing something. <laughs> um, and know that Rome wasn't built in a day. So you having this idea in your mind of what your program is going to be like, it's going to take that time and the time and energy and consistency in that. And I know that can be super frustrating coming from someone that's definitely a millennial that just wants to happen like right now and happen right away. So we can like do fun things. Um, but you have to remind yourself that it's going to take a while. It's going to take consistency and this is only temporary. And it's about building the relationships with the students first, the students administration and the community, their trust 
too in, in that first kind of initial year that you're in this position. Um, I think that's super important because then once you've gained their trust, you then can grow and expand on ideas that they probably wouldn't have thought of. If you jumped in and changed a, like a tradition right away, you know, their community is not going to be too happy with you. Um, so you have to play the game. It's a whole game. It really is in learning how all that works. Um, so I think those are the biggest things. Breathe, reach out to people, realize this is temporary and you just need to be consistent. That is some great actionable advice for anyone that's in that position. So thank you so much, Abby. That was an incredible discussion on something that so many of us have to deal with. And I think, I, I hope that there are some teachers out there that can hear what you're saying and understand that they can take some small steps and make some actionable steps to mm-hmm. make their program better, but without driving themselves insane in the process. Right. And I think if there's any teachers listening that have been teaching for a while, I think if you ever get a, a cooperating student or cooperating teacher, or no, I'm sorry, a student teacher, I think, I think cooperating teachers just need to be a little bit more upfront and more transparent in education. Cause I feel like they try to, not cover it up, but make it seem all great. And because they want you to go into teaching and don't want to scare you right away. But I think that's the wrong approach with that. And I think, you know, when you go into driver or uh, driver, what is it called? Um, driving ed, what is it called? Driver's ed, yeah. Driver's ed, yeah, that one. You know, they show you the videos of like people crashing on the first day and like, <laughs> dying and that scares the crap out of you. But here we are still driving. So I, not that, so I, not to like scare the crap out of new teachers, but I think we just need to give them that realization. Like, this is it. This is what happens. You're not going to die, but at least give that the realistic approach to it. And I feel like we just color code it and, you know, put rainbows and butterflies over it too much that when teachers go, new teachers go into the position that they realize like, oh, wow, like this is not what I expected. Because I feel like we're just, we're not giving them the reality right away for it. Definitely. You don't want like as a corporate teacher, you wouldn't want to be like super negative about all the time. But like, I think there's a difference between that and just being realistic and letting them understand that even, you know, someone that's been in the business for 20 some, 30 some years still has those days where they go home wanting to pull their hair out and just being real as people and help just helping each other out because it's so easy for us to be isolated as music teachers. So I really like how you encouraged us to kind of reach out and to see those music teachers and those non-music teachers around us and ask for help. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that will help tremendously to always have that support or at least know you have someone to go to. Definitely. So Abby, where can we find more of you online? Um, You can find me on Facebook, uh, just my name, Abby Helbling, and then also on Instagram at Miss underscore Abby, A-B-B-Y-H. All right. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for talking with me today. I think this is an incredibly useful conversation and I can't wait um, to hear what everyone thinks about it. And I hope that I hope that we can it can help some people that are in kind of a a rough spot in their career and kind of encourage them to keep going. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Abby. That was such a great conversation. I'm so glad that my great friend Abby Helbling was able to come and talk about starting a program from scratch. As she said, reaching out is a great way to help, especially when you're doing something that's kind of unknown. 
invite you to join the General Music Mastermind, which is a free Facebook group all about teaching general music. And it's a small, nice group where there's not really any judgment. We're able to kind of talk openly with each other, um, where sometimes you don't get that in the bigger groups. So I'll leave a link to that in the show notes um, so you can come join us. As always, you can find the show notes and more at thatmusicteacher.com slash podcast.